The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. Now on 94.7 The Pulse, the weekly wrap-up and word on the street. This is 11 on Friday. Thank you very much to Dennis Scanlon for his program, Scanlon's Front Page. He'll be back next Friday. Vic, very good to see you. Good it's morning, Mitchell. Long. How are you? I'm great. It's uh, so good to have our own sort of freedom day, isn't it? It uh, means a lot to finally be able to catch up with you face-to-face. We back. We're we back. back. And um, Dennis, he'll be very interested tonight, I think, to watch his beloved D's. Yeah. It could be the uh, night that they're on the way to it their is. first premierships in 64. You know, part of me, and I'm a Geelong supporter, um, would like to see them... If anyone wins, I'd like to see them... Other than Geelong, I'd like to see them go ahead. I think the Ds are my number two team. So if um, the Ds happen to beat Geelong tonight, I'll be tipping them and hoping that they get up in the grand final. What a spectacular win that was recently um, with the last goal kicked by Gorn. Were you watching that live? I was. I did. Yeah, they just had to hold on Geelong for about another 18 seconds and they would have won the game, but they didn't, and uh, the rest is history. It was scripted almost. It was. In fact, I think some of the games recently, they seem like they've been scripted by the AFL because they've just been almost too perfect in terms of the are, drama. Are you a conspiracy theorist there, no, Mitchell? I'm not. <laughs> okay. As if they would script the games. But um, it's been really entertaining, and football's, I think, one of those things we've been able to really latch on to with the lockdown. Right. But mm. I remember something you were telling me last year when... Uh, Geelong was in a tough spot in the finals and you said, I think when it's the big games, that's when they stand up and, you know, they kick those impossible shots around the corner and that sort of thing. So maybe there is some hope for us tonight. Well, I tend to think that they tend to surprise when they're under pressure. I think when they've had an easy run, they tend to, dare I say, drop the ball. Mm. Um, When they're under pressure, they really surprise and they do well. So um, good luck to both teams tonight. It should be a good game, I think, yep. and looking, looking forward, forward to it. it. Um, so, how are you feeling about the situation we're in now? We had, I think, one week of doing this program three weeks ago, and then we got locked down, and uh, now we're trying to get back on air and do our thing again, and it's hard to keep that momentum going when you have sort of one well, week. Well, lots happened, three, hasn't it? We've had as... Afghanistan come and go and all that sort of thing. We can talk about that later. But, mm. um, uh, I, I, yeah, I've, I've got certain views. I mean, look, I spoke to you at the time, and I'd like like to say again, I have great problem, problems with the word vaccine passport and where that's headed. Um, and that's an international thing too. Uh, and, and, you know, I'd like to f- f- ask the question, what good's a passport going to be if it's only going to be state-related? It's very parochial. You know, we need it interstate. We need it Australia-wide. In fact, we should have it international. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, probably. A standard. A standard of... Well, that's what they did with, uh, and I've said it a lot, but those yellow fever books. I've still got mine. It's a yellow booklet, and I think that was an international standard because you had to show your proof of um, vaccination for yellow fever to go into certain countries. I had this discussion with someone last night when I voiced my opposition to the the passport. A whole... Well, not the whole idea, but the the idea of proving uh, with a passport that you're one of the haves as against one of the have-nots. Now, um, and that's ultimately, I think, where it's headed, that that mentality. Um, Of course, with the yellow passport, and people of our generation would remember it, um, the whole idea was to stop you bringing typhus or cholera back into the country, I assume. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yep, that sounds about right. You know, um, and of course, it's to look after your own safety as well. 
Um, I'm not in the same agreement with the whole idea for a passport. Can you explain why we need one? Well, if I'm a business owner, should I have the right to be able to say, uh, no, you can't come into my premises if well, you haven't been you've vaccinated? Jumped a couple, you've jumped a couple of slots there, I think, Mitchell. All right. Um, you know, why initially or, in, you know, basically, why do we need a passport? I'm Just, asking the question. Well, you've got to have some mechanism, don't you, to enforce whether or not people have been vaccinated. If a business or a service provider wants okay, to say... Okay, why do we need that? Why do we need to have only vaccinated Let people? me put it another way. I'm at a hotel. I'm a venue. Mm. I'm at the door. Can I come in? Mm. Are, you un- are you 18? I'd have to show them my ID, of course. Of course. <laughs> and um, I'd go in. Now, if I'm unvaccinated... What does it mean to the crowd in there if they're all vaccinated? Well, you're at a greater risk of, one, having the virus potentially and spreading it. Because if you haven't been vaccinated, you're more likely to spread the virus, aren't you? But they can too. They can too, but not as much. Well, you know, that's, that's open to the... But is that, does that discount them? Does that, does that mean we've got to have passports? Because they can still carry it and spread it. Well, have you heard the and language of the know. Premier? Um, which has been the pandemic of the unvaccinated. He's used that term a few times. Which, which, which is the wrong psychology. It's the wrong psychology. We're heading into a futuristic sort of situation where people are going to be segregated and separated. Um, you know, some people can't get vaccinated. Mm. Uh, what about those people who've had the virus? What's going to happen with those? Because they actually have a greater immunity than uh, that natural immunity is... A, is is coveted. It's well, it's well yeah, respected. I think I've read though that that's not always the best. Uh, in that uh, it wears off, or it might be towards a different strain, or you know that well, sort of thing. Well, my 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 reading has gone completely the opposite way. That that uh, the man-made vaccines wear off and are only very limited limited in their range, whereas the natural immunity is a broad spectrum immunity. Now the other problem, and I might be wrong about that, um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of ifs and buts about this whole thing. The other problem about that is if I've had the disease, if I've had corona and uh, I go to get an injection, it's, it's very telling on you. It's hard. Apparently, it's, it takes quite a toll on you. Now, I don't know the facts around that, but that's what I've heard a few times. Different people have had different things in my experience. So for me personally, it uh, didn't really take much of a toll on me at all. Um, the first no, time... No, I'm, no, I'm saying if you've had... If you've been infected with oh, COVID... Oh, sorry, yes, the long COVID you're talking if, no, about. No, if you've had COVID... Yes, oh, and, and then you, you get vaccinated. To get a vaccine, yeah. because you want to be one of the vaccine people who can do everything everyone else is doing, it's going to be very hard on your system. Yeah, I don't know about that. Well, that's what I've read. People can seek that's their what own I've read. advice. One thing I'll just say as well is any, if anyone would like to ring up and... Talk to us or put your own point of view, please. Or free on five triple two five nine four seven. No use bringing up after the program is finished, like some people like to do. Look, I'd like to bring another perspective into this, Mitchell. Um, yeah. Recent, recently, recently, I was talking to a lady on social media, and she made the point to me that she wasn't going to meet unless I was vaccinated. Well, that's apparently what some of the dating services are doing now. Is that right? Well, you're ahead Not of it. Not that I would know anything about it. It was a little services. while back now, and it was one of these very, very casual, uh, it wasn't a formal thing, but, but she wrote back and said, no, no meeting unless you're vaccinated. So I might, might 
might pose the whole proposition of no jab, no jab. I had a relationship expert come that on. went over your head, but that's all right. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I had a relationship expert come on my show and uh, they were talking about that, that um, a lot of these online platforms, if you have had the vaccine, you have a little tick in the bottom right corner yep. of your picture on your profile so that uh, people that have had the vaccine can be matched with other people that have is had the vaccine. Is this futuristic? Is this an enormously futuristic perspective on our lives I, I i'm really i'm i'm taken aback with it all but yeah different people have different stances about it i think like for example on social media some people have to put up when they've had the vaccine some people update their profile picture to say they've been vaccinated i personally haven't done any of those things i've barely even told anyone that i have been vaccinated because i haven't turned it into a big personal grandstanding event but i mean if people want to do that good luck to them but i don't know i don't think medical treatments are something that you need to be making a big deal about personally. Look, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think that the whole notion that um, uh, you have to have a vaccine to get access into venues or to do anything or to catch a plane um, is, is false. I, I think that they should come clean. Um, the whole the whole reasoning behind vaccinating everybody is to remove the the weight on the public health system. We know that. Why don't they just come clean and say, please, in other, in other words, don't be negative saying, you know, the vaccinated, the un, unvaccinated. If you can't, if you don't get vaccinated, then you can't do this and you can't do that. That's negative. That's big stick. Why don't we just say, listen, we're appealing to everybody to do the right thing, to to be part of your community, get vaccinated so we, we don't have a weight on our system. If anyone does sick, get sick, we can handle it. In other words, um, it probably puts the focus more on facilities and infrastructure. Why aren't we spending um, money on, you know, quarantine facilities and hospital facilities, maybe part of the same facility, um, rather than billions in... We're losing billions in lockdown... Um, why why are there no planning and which could then be used of course in the very tragic event of wartime or something like that um, I mean these are long term plans that I think would be probably more advantageous to our community uh, we're in a situation now where it's very very short term and very very costly yep. we're going to be going for three, three and four jabs very costly. Yeah, probably. Next year, we'll probably have to have a top-up and that, of and that Again, that, that's a concern to me, that sort of thing. So, I'll tell you where I am on your point about the vaccine pass, but I think, it, for me, it depends on what the choice is. So, if it's a choice between being locked down or being open but only for vaccinated people, I would go with that option. But if we were going to be open anyway then I think you maybe have a point to make about segregation, etc. But for me, um, I think the comments of Emmanuel Macron, the president of France, ring true for me, which is we've spent enough time sitting at home, not doing anything, waiting for people to get vaccinated. And now uh, it's time for the people that haven't been vaccinated, they can sit at home and we'll go out and have a good time and enjoy our lives. I don't disagree with any of that. I don't disagree with any of that. What I'm saying is that it's the way, it's the path we're taking to make people get vaccinated. Um, I, I think that there's there's the wrong psychology involved there. Yeah. And um, it, it's it's not a matter of using the big stick or, or separating people. 
Well, I take the view it shouldn't be mandatory. People should have a choice, but people should also understand that there are consequences that come with that choice. And then uh, people can weigh it up for themselves. And to be honest, I think there's more than enough information out there now. It's been talked about so much. People can more than well and truly research all the information that they could possibly need. True, there's a lot of information out there, but there's still no third stage trial until there's three years up of something to that, to that effect. And people are, you know, hanging back, waiting to see if there's anything insidious that's going to raise its head, um, you know, with these vaccines. Um, as, the, as, the, as the, you know, we enter the third phase, you know, of, the, of this trial, this human trial. All I can say from my personal experience is I've had the uh, two shots of COVID, and I've had uh, a flu shot. I had the flu shot two weeks after my last COVID shot. So I've been fully vaxxed and everything. And Can I'm I ask feeling you fine. what flavour of uh, COVID vaccine? Yeah. Pfizer. Okay. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, that's not available. They've said people over 60, sorry, you're not getting it. So what about people over 60 who've got a problem with AstraZeneca? I think they've said, no, we're putting our foot down. The uh, the supplier is going to the people under sixty. I think it's I think it's particularly um, n- narrow the whole selective process, the whole psychology. It'll get to a point, yeah, you know, soon maybe when they have enough Pfizer to go around. But at the moment, it's still a, a tough commodity. Look, it's it's raising it, it, it's it's actually getting to be the front runner, AZ. It's it's got a lot of advantages too. Well, I've heard about that. Yeah, things. It's just moving so quickly as well. That's the point. Um, the other question I had for you was just around the lockdowns and. I know when we spoke three weeks ago, I think you were keen on getting us down to zero and, you know, go hard with the lockdowns. I'm just wondering, uh, has your position changed? No, oh, enormously. Uh, enormously. It, you know, it, it was the thing to do at the time, uh, at the start. Uh, lockdown and going for broke was, was clearly achievable. Uh, do you think and, it's changed now? Uh, absolutely. And yeah. look, w- you know, at the time of our last uh, radio broadcast, it was changing and, and the next broadcast, we've been very clear about it, that, that the game was up. That we're not going to hold it. We did make the comparison between New Zealand, um, New South Wales and Victorian yes, method- methodology and watching that. And of course, the cat's out of the bag in New Zealand uh, that, 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 and and. and Victoria. Although some we're, people are we're saying aware. New Zealand's coming back in. I oh. saw only 23 new cases there today. Oh, was that right? Um, but I think the challenge we have here in Melbourne is we've been locked down a lot longer than New Zealand. That's one of the challenges. The other challenge would be our population density is a lot higher. Psychology. But the yes. psychology, I think, is a big part. And people have been pushed and pushed and pushed. And I think people are becoming a lot more lax about the rules when you get thrown into lockdown. And even the very high publicized events, and I'm sure you would have seen those, uh, people are probably looking and saying, well, some of my favorite Instagram influencers seem to be disturbed doing their own thing and ignoring the lockdown. And yes, they've been made an example of and fined the $5,000, but you have to think for each person that's been caught, there's probably a 100 more that weren't caught and got away with it, right? So it gets back to my point, Mitchell, about vaccine passports. We've seen people with a, losing their appetite for that sort of regimentation. Uh, they're going to lose their appetite for, for vaccine passports, trust me. And, and do you know what? Wouldn't uh, a rogue state just love to hack into a database with all our vaccine details and who we are and our ages? And Although that wouldn't they just love that? Is already a treasure trove. 
because um, I actually, I think, I don't think we did it. Oh, no, we had done it the last time I spoke to you because I already had my certificate on my phone. But um, it took me two hours on the phone to Medicare to get it all sorted out and linked up to MyGov. And it really was two hours. I'm not even joking. I was sitting on hold. You can see the call log on my phone. How do you feel at the end of the day when you've had to go through that? Isn't it just one of those feelings of who am I on the face of the earth? You're sort of like... (laughs) You make a coffee and you think, what have I achieved today? Yeah. I've sat there and done some menial process. Well, we're in um, lockdown anyway, but yeah, I was just sitting on the phone and, you know, the whole music loop doesn't go for two hours, so you're hearing the same things over and over again. But, but even even worse in lockdown because you really need something to stimulate you rather than yeah, something like that. well, that's that. true. Yeah. And I finally got on to a lady at Medicare and... Um, uh, she said, oh, yes, no, that's fair enough. I just need to stick you on hold very quickly to check your details. If Is that okay? And I said, I've already been on hold for two hours. Of course, it's okay to be on hold for another 30 seconds or whatever while you check it. And then luckily, they were very nice and they fixed it all up and it's all done. But once they linked that to my MyGov, um, I think a lot of people would actually be surprised how much information is already there. Yeah. Like, for example, um, I could pull up my vaccine history going back to 1990 five or six and you can actually see all the vaccines that you've had uh since then already there so it's all there anywhere so are we going to be using that as a platform i think so although i've got a feeling the states are now wanting to go down and do their own thing that that's that's a big problem if they're going to do that don't you agree uh possibly but how you know that's the way it's going at the moment every state's doing their own thing and there's a lot of chess speeding going on isn't there a lot of competition between the state you've got you know you've got the, the absolute top of the tree is Western Australia, uh, and they're going to have to make a decision. Now, you look at you look at their position. Some are saying they're not going to open before April. Yep. Okay, so, you know, as a Premier, you'd have to say, now, listen, everybody start getting vaccinated, right? Now, for a start off, they're behind the eight ball there. I think the psychology over there would not be so much for vaccination. We've lived a lot this long without it. Yes, Why do you want yeah. us to get a needle now? Whereas in Melbourne people are like, we're in lockdown, we need to get a vaccine ASAP. Whereas yeah, you're right over there because they've had a very relaxed and carefree approach to the virus. A- and it's worked. Yeah. So then they're going to get a vaccine and I think guess what, what? by April it's going to have worn off. Mm. I think it won't work forever though because um, the view now seems to be, well Delta's going to go everywhere. And it's only a matter of time well, before Queensland and WA have an outbreak just like Victoria has. Yeah, yeah. That's the worry. Look, the, the cruel fact of the matter is that um, had we had vaccines for the Spanish flu, it may still be around. I mean, the flu is still around. Mm. I mean, not an epidemiologist, and there's a new word for me over the last two years, but had we had vaccines, I pose the question, would, the, would there be a stronger f- a strain of flu still in our life? In other words, what we're doing now is we're halting the natural progression wow. of the of the virus to become obsolete uh, and breed itself out. We're stopping that with virus, with uh, vaccines. I'm not anti-vaxxer. I'm just saying this is the path we're on now, and we're getting we're getting mutant strains coming out of third world countries that will continue to come. And yeah, we've got to be aware. We've got to be cognizant of all this. That's what I think they're hoping they're going to achieve by having the quarantine facilities, the more permanent ones set up out at Mickleham and all that. I can't wait for them to start on down that road. I, I think it's the way to go. I think we've got to have that and we've got to have extra ICU attached to that. 
so that we can deal with getting oxygen to those people who need it. Uh, other than the situation at the moment whereby we've got a huge um, concern about morbidity rates in the community, and rightly so, uh, and that's where vaccines come into play. I just dispute the way the psychology currently around making people get vaccines. I think our Premier's using the wrong talk. I think that the use of vaccine passport or the, or, or the economy of the vaccinated or the unvaccinated the wrong way to go. It's, it's dividing people and I don't think that we're going to achieve anything in the long run. There'll be people who will just hang around in the peripherals and not get vaccinated. You were talking about um, developing countries. There's this really good website uh, put up by Reuters and it's a graphic yep. of the whole globe and you can go to a country and yep. it tells you what proportion of that country has been vaccinated. So, for example, we go to Ghana in West Africa, uh, 2.8% have received one dose. Yeah. Um, Benin, 1%. Nigeria, 1.8%. Uh, Ivory Coast, 5.7%. So that is way behind the developed countries, I, isn't it? As you have, I've spent time in West Africa. And, yes. Um, I can just perceive that that would be very localised. Those, those would be very specific to income and largely. So basically that virus is going to be out there doing its own thing. So that's what I think they're talking about with these quarantine facilities because some people are saying, well, once people are vaccinated, do we need them? Well, the answer course, is yes. Of course we do. And we still need all our processes uh, that we've developed and our skills our, of social distancing and um, cleanliness and hygiene and all that. We have to maintain all that. The, the, the vaccine, again, uh, concerns me. It's not the bullet. It's not the magic bullet. That's my ground view of the whole thing. Um, so we'll see what happens here. But one thing I will say is I hope we're out of lockdown here in regional Victoria for longer than one weekend because that seems to be the average that we've spent one weekend out of lockdown and then straight back into I think lockdown. I think they're committed to keep us down this road now. I hope so. Um, you know, it's been... A, it's been Look, it's been a... Tr- I, I can't condemn anyone for, for the processes that have happened through the states. Uh, everyone's tried their own thing and we've got a great view of what works and what doesn't work. And, and we've got to be happy for, you know, that's, there's a positive in that. You know, if you don't try these things, you don't know. But having said that, we shouldn't be going backwards either. We, we know, um, we have the benefit of hindsight now, we have to use it properly. And we've probably learned a lot for dealing with any future pandemics that hopefully won't come <laughs> which, our way. Which which uh, we can only assume ultimately will, even if it's in 100 years. I'm just hoping it's a one in 100 year thing and it won't be in my lifetime. Yeah, let's hope. COVID too. On the way in, Mitchell, I uh, had the radio on and I heard a song called New York. New York. Which one? Because there's a few No, no, no. It's the more laconic New York. Frank Sinatra. No, no. Woman singing it. Don't know. But it was a lovely song. What did it make you think of? Uh, yeah, being I back mean, there? it's a very timely, timely. And then when I got out to pay the meter, there was a siren for some time running around me, and I, it just seemed to be very prophetic and just for the moment, just dealing with this date. Well, I have to ask, um, where were you when nine eleven happened t- nearly twenty years ago? Um, what were you um, thinking? Feeling? As I normally do, I rolled over in bed, turned the radio on, and I heard a lot of screaming. And was this late at night? No, it was 7am. So you'd slept through the whole thing because here it was quite late. I had, yeah. And I heard the screaming uh, and I turned the channels and it was on everything and I thought, no need to get up. Just lie here because this is going to be on the 
you know, media for a long time. When did you turn on the TV to see oh, those pictures? pretty much half an hour I got up and uh, turned it on. I had a brother up in Maine, north of New York, and um, I was very keen to touch base with him. He'd had some fairly... Um, fairly heavy-duty uh, friends there in in the government, and uh, I was pretty keen to touch base with him. I was very concerned that perhaps there was going to be a nuclear exchange. That that concerned me. Um, you know, who? how do we know what was happening? The Pentagon had gone, and um, the the one in, uh, I think, Philadelphia, that, that had happened too, and, you know, terrible things were happening, and, uh, w- you know, there was going to be the possibility of um, a precipitation into a, a worse. And of course, the funny thing is, if you read the, the history, you know, Russia were on the phone to the White House, are you okay? Can we do anything? Which was terrific. You know, I wish there's more of that. Mm. Um, I mean, they were obviously concerned that we've gone DEFCON 4 or whatever it is and everyone's got their finger on the button. It's obviously probably a good strategy to do that. But, you know, Condoleezza Rice was... Uh, they were in the lockdown there underneath the building. There was a lot of disjointed uh, communication that time, which was a bit unsettling for the White House, you know. Uh, the, the most amazing thing, and we've got to be so grateful that they didn't actually aim for the White House mm. um, because it would have been a terrible situation. I think I was too young to really be wargaming all of those different scenarios, but um, I was only 10 years old when it happened, which but gives away fairly, my current age. Be fairly cognizant of the whole thing. You'd would have, we'd remember it all. Oh, very much so. Um, we were actually flying on that day, September the 11th, because we're in West Africa at the time, and we're coming back from Australia uh, because we got to go from West Africa back to Australia twice a year. So we're coming back from one of those. So um, flew down from Europe to Africa. Uh, to Lagos or somewhere? Lagos or? on the 10th of September. And then the next day flew to the um, island that we were on. So that was on the 11th. So I'd flown on a big wide-body plane on the 10th and then flew on a small plane on the 11th. And then when we got home on the 11th, it was about 11 o'clock in the morning over there, uh, or it might have been 1 o'clock in the afternoon or thereabouts, yep. and of course, the time difference meant it was about 8 or 9 a.m. in New York, and someone rang, and I remember saying, um, you know, or hearing that there was a, a crash in New York, so I turned on the BBC, and uh, the footage was there, and uh, actually saw the second plane fly into the World Trade Center live, so when we first tuned in, it was only the first plane. Mm. And then I remember thinking once the second plane mm. hit the building, that was a real game changer. Because I think a lot of people thought it was an accident um, at the time. At the first at the instance, first one. yes. And I've actually re-watched the BBC world coverage of it since then, because you can watch it all on YouTube. And uh, the BBC back then, and still probably does, have a policy of not speculating. So this lady that was uh, the news anchor was calling it a double plane accident, mm. uh, which is interesting which, language to which, use. Which which was wishful thinking. Yeah, so they wouldn't um, say, you know, oh, it's an attack. They'd say it was just a coincidence that we've had two plane accidents. And the other point I just make as well is the year before we actually visited New York as a family and went up the World Trade Center. Yep, so here. What year was that? 2000. Okay, 79, I hitchhiked across America and um, I flew into JFK and I got talking with this chap. Uh, on the plane, his name was Bruce, and he was an Aussie. Guess what? And he was from Bruce Street in Sydney. So there's Bruce from Bruce Street in Sydney. <laughs> That's and he said. Now me. he was a New Yorker, and he said, "Follow me if you're listening, Bruce. Follow me." And we got on the tube and got the to the bottom of the um, 
got to the bottom of the Twin Towers and my first view of New York was from the top of the Twin Towers. Yeah. And I looked down into it and I thought, there's no way no I'm going into that. That's a jungle. It was the old New York. You know, the new New York is very much cleaned up. But if you if the old New York was very s- similar to the the the, the top cat um, cartoons, you know, with the with I the, remember watching this with the, kid, yeah. yeah, with the fire escapes and all the trash yes, cans and yes, that, that was it. It was just like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was, it was a, you know, in the old checker cabs, it, it was a really a surreal experience in New York. And I had $1,500 wrapped up in my top pocket, which was a lot of money in those days. Mm. But did you watch the special last night, Mitchell? No, I didn't. You said um, you were telling me off here it was on the ABC. Yeah. Because um, they, every news channel, it seems, has done their own special. Like, I know 10 is doing one. I don't know when it is on and the ABC. And people were also saying, in you know, the last, but apparently there's a lot of documentaries you can watch on all the streaming services, Netflix, Stan, etc. Look, there is a lot happening. Obviously, it's probably gaining momentum as the years go by, two decades later. But do you know, I watched the ABC special last night, went for about an hour and a half or more, and uh, it was intriguing. There was a wonderful perspective and some great footage um, from family people and from people who were actually in the buildings and things like that, and they had their own footage and a lot of stuff you haven't seen before. Uh, the interesting thing, um, and I've got to ask you, how many buildings came down there on the day, Mitchell? Yeah, well, that's a good question because when you were watching it live, I don't recall at the time them mm. went mentioning, and I think you're going towards Building 7. I am going I towards I don't remember seven. them mentioning Building 7. That was only something I heard about after the fact, like many years later. Well, they gave it a 20-second mention last night and they just said, this is Bob or someone, and we're walking through, we're walking through Building 7 and that was it. There was he was he had a flashlight. He was walking through the lobby or something like that, and that was it. That's the only reference to Building Seven for those the uninitiated. Building Seven was a building, uh, a forty-seven story, a forty-eight story building, three hundred fifty meters away in the Trade Centre complex. It was Building Number Seven in the Trade Centre, obviously. And uh, seven hours after the impacts, it came down in a six and a half second freefall into its own footprint. No fires. No obvious fires in it. There are only three... How many buildings have collapsed, steel frame, uh, multi-storey buildings have collapsed due to fire in the world, history of the world? I'm guessing you're going to say the very few... I let the zero. cat out of the bag there. <laughs> There's yeah. only three. Okay. Which, okay. And what, that's the World Trade Centre complex? The two World Trade Centres and Building 7. Now, cast your mind back three or four years to, to the terrible tragedy there in London, Grenfell. Yes. And the fires that burnt there for a couple of weeks in that building still didn't come down. Still didn't come down. Now... Would people say that aviation fuel causes a different fire? Uh, well, I'm not, disputing, I'm not disputing. I'm not saying that there was, a high, high, there was some fantastic, you know, visual effect and the planes didn't hit the... Of course, the planes... And of course, it was terrorism. Mm. Building 7 stands alone, to me, as being... Uh, something that is quite a mystery. Now, 350 architects and engineers, probably a lot more, have signed a petition in America for an independent inquiry. Now, not only has the inquiry not happened, uh, well, there was an inquiry uh, lodged by the National Institute for Strategic Technology or something, whatever, a a government appointee, equivalent to what we might call the Warren Commission in the Kennedy assassination, okay? They did what everyone expected them to say. They said what everyone expected them to say. And the intriguing thing is that I went into the, I went into the um, information again last night and 
lo and behold, they've changed their reason as to why the building collapsed. Initially, it was fire on the 13th or 14th floor or something and, bu- and column number 79 collapsed and brought down, had caught a mass, uh, uh, caused a mass collapse of the building into its own footprint. And if you've ever seen that footage, it's dramatic. Um, it collapses from the centre in the middle and it just comes straight down like a pack of cards. And am I right in saying the actual collapse was later in the afternoon? It was seven that? hours later. It was 5.20pm. Uh, after the after the initial collapses, and um, it, it was it, when everyone was cleared out of the building, um, and there were no there were no people in in the um, in the vicinity of the uh, yeah people the, would have all left. Now you work out you try and work out the timing of that. You try and reconstruct that and try and bring three buildings down in that time frame. It, it's millions, probably trillions to one. To get to get that to happen now, what they're saying now they've changed their story. The official line on YouTube or wherever it is, is that it's caused by deflected rubbish that has gone across and cut columns in that building, which was 350 metres away. Mm. Uh, that's been discounted. There's a uh, there's a separate, obviously uh, separate. Um, investigation going on by UAW, um, which is an Alaskan... Um, uh, 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 UAF, sorry. What uh, are they, like a journalist? They're, 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 they're uh, engineers. I see. Uh, sorry, University of Alaska Fairbanks. Yep. Okay? Um, and that's just one of the, one of the uh, uh, subsequent... Um, um, inquiries into this and they've discounted the whole theory that NIST has put out. They said it's just not plausible. There's there's no way known that fire upset column 79 and caused such a, a, a dramatic collapse, nor could it have received that sort of debris damage at that distance to have brought it down. Now, I, I just as a footnote to all this, I've been onto this for some years. Now, when it first happened... You could go onto YouTube and see the most dramatic footy of, of Building 7. But to anyone listening, don't even bother now. What you're getting is a manicured, filtered version of anything that might have happened. And even if you can find anything that happened Building 7, um, it, at first, it was all there. The fireys in Building 7 carrying each other out, complaining of the big explosions they couldn't. And one particular bit of footage, and I've seen it with my own eyes, the fireys hit the deck when the explosions start happening. They're saying, you know, they're all covered in dust, uh, hit the deck saying, there they go again, you know. Um, so this building came down in extremely controversial circumstances, not even mentioned last night on the hour and a half program. And very, very fleetingly and filtered view on the social media now or on YouTube, um, it's like they're wiping it from any, you know, soon they might not even say that it actually did exist, you know, that it did come down. I mean, it's, you can't even, it's hard to find information on it. Did I hear that the Biden administration was planning to release more documents about 9-11? Well, that'll be very interesting and I'll bet you it'll be very uh, selective. I don't know if it'll be. Well, what incentive would they have 20 years on to not release information? Well... They'll only ever release the information that they want to release, Mitchell. But it's as different in, like, the people that... Well, I don't know, maybe they're not, but... Well, a lot the, of people... The people that are there are going to be different largely from the people that were there 20 years ago, aren't they? In the administration. Oh, well, it's... 
I mean, you've already hear me, heard me express my, my concerns about Building 7. There are a lot of people that want to know what the real story is there. Let me, well, let if me, there's new and compelling evidence, I don't see any reason why you couldn't have a, a, an inquiry or something, because I think it would be better to put it to bed and uh, clear up any... Well, there's no putting it to bed. If it's gone vacuum. under the carpet. It's mm-hmm. gone under the carpet. Now, let's just, 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 just let me tell you some of the tenants um, in Building 7. You might be interested to know. Solomon Brothers, one of the biggest banks uh, one of the biggest banks in Wall Street at the time. Okay? They took up a number of floors. Other tenants were the CIA, the IRS, the Securities Exchange Commission, and lo and behold, a lot of the documents for the Enron collapse. The biggest collapse in corporate history at the time, in 2001 they collapsed, Mm. Uh, going uh, to the tune of $63.4 billion. Now, I'm going back when $63.4 billion was a lot of money, Mitchell. Still is now. Um, but nonetheless, isn't that a bit curious that they don't even mention this building collapse now with those sorts of tenants? Well... People can watch and make up their own mind. Well, they won't be able to watch because it goes to the core of what I say about social media should never be, um, there shouldn't be any limitation on the information. You you know, we shouldn't be stopping people. Uh, We can put footnotes and say we don't don't agree with this. This is the truth. This is the fact, um, the way we see it. But this is someone else's perspective on it. And they've limited all that. They've changed that and sort of... Yeah. Well, we'll have to take a break because I've been going pretty hard at it for yeah, the well. last 40 minutes. Mm. Uh, doesn't that time fly? And uh, particularly when you've had three weeks in lockdown and you've got a lot of things that you want to get off your, your chest. But yeah. we'll take a break. We'll be back in just a yeah. while. Until midday, you're listening to 11 on Friday on 94.7 The Pulse. And just during the break, we're having a bit of an interesting discussion about the state of uh, politics at the moment, state and federal, and the the chess beating that's going on. It's very competitive. The states and the feds are all having a go at each other, aren't they? They are, Mitchell. And look, I I have to confess, and I've said it before, uh, I, I listened to our Premier Daniel Andrews sounding off the other day and I turned the television over to music, um, which I tend to do a lot these days. So you are the person with the facts. Now, perhaps you can fill me in. He's a bit upset for 340,000 vaccines or doses that didn't come our way. Um, The federal government have allocated to New South Wales. Um, I've got a take on that, but what's yours? Well, I actually said at the time when they said we we're going to be sending more vaccines to New South Wales, and I said it on my program, I thought that was a flawed approach. I don't think they should be giving more to New South Wales. I think it should be on the basis of population. And the reason for that is the lead time that it actually takes for the vaccine to have effect. So if you're going to put more vaccines into Sydney now on the basis that there's an outbreak now, you don't know where the outbreak is going to be in 10 weeks' time. And why do I say 10 weeks? Well, I'm saying it might take two weeks for you to actually deliver the vaccines and then get the first dose 
virus into people's arms. Then it will take another six weeks for that person to then receive their second dose. And then it's another two weeks after that before apparently you reach full immunity. So it's 10 weeks lead time. And sure enough, I said it at the time and exactly what I thought would happen happened, which was we had an outbreak here in Victoria. And maybe if you'd sent more vaccines down to Victoria before the outbreak actually happened, you could have been better prepared to ward off an outbreak down here. But what they did was actually sent more vaccines into New South Wales, which I thought was looking backwards rather than trying to preempt where things might have gone forward. So I was against this notion of allocating the vaccines based on where it needs to be now. I was more in favour of the, the per capita rollout. But the Premier is saying that no, even beyond what they said they were going to do, which was to give more vaccines to Sydney, they've given secretly even more than that. But then I read in the age today that no, that's not the case. So I don't know who to believe. Um, I said... When You're saying there's a lot of mystery around all yes. this? <laughs> <laughs> who would know? But, like, I don't... I mean, I, unless you're actually there, like, seeing where each individual vaccine is going, how could you possibly know? And, of course, the politicians take advantage of the fact that we don't know and they're more than happy to muddy the waters and to leave that little bit of doubt there, aren't they? But Look, uh, yeah, I, I, I hear everything you're saying, but this is disaster management. And without playing politics, Liberal Labor... Um, the people who had the call at the time, uh, well, let me draw an analogy. Say we had big bushfires in New South Wales and we had fires in Victoria, but not many. You wouldn't send the same amount of firefighters to Victoria. You'd send as much as you could to fight the fires where they are. I don't think it's a good analogy, though. Oh, oh, why? Because the difference with firefighters is they're coming in to put the fire out now, whereas the vaccine, you send it there... But that's common to both scenarios. But there's a much bigger lag on the vaccine. Yeah, but that's common to both scenarios. And with a limited... We're in disaster management here. Mm. And with a limited amount of vaccine, which, which... I agree with what you say. There is a lag. There's, there's a, you know, months. But it's a lot longer than a firefighting situation. But, but don't you think that if that situation is growing out of control in New South Wales, that you have to try and leg rope that and stop that, you know, get the vaccine in there where it matters? I mean, I'm just putting it out there. I'm not saying that that's the correct thinking, but I think that was the thinking at the time. And dare I say it, they had to make a choice and they made one. And our Premier was pretty upset about that. Now, that's fine. He can get upset. Well, he said it was actually fine. He said several times at that media conference, I was okay with them sending more to Sydney at the time. But he says that what the government's done is go beyond that and he says secretly send more to Sydney. Well, he has to justify. He has to to verify that and show us the figures. I mean, he can't just make that. Well, they say they have, but then the feds come up with a different set. It's very confusing. Right. And, and, you know, they take advantage of the fact that, you know, clearly someone knows exactly what the full story is, but they take advantage of just how much confusion there is in the air. And it's all, of course, politics, because the Premier knows if you're stuck in lockdown and you see him come on the TV and say it's the Fed's fault and it's New South Wales' fault, then, of course, people are going to get angry because we're really angry about being in lockdown and we want to get out and do our things. Everyone's angry about being in lockdown. He's a smart man. He knows what plays well in terms of the media. No surprises there. He's a very smart man in politics. No question. But he also knows that there's a federal election coming up. But just to your... Yeah, well, that's true too. And we'll get on to that in a second. But just to your point about the... um 
this idea that you would send more to Sydney because, you know, you don't want the outbreak to get out of control. I think it's a debate around, is it better to have the outbreak concentrated in one area or sort of risk it spreading to more areas and kind of have moderate outbreaks in a lot of places or have one really bad outbreak I in one? I get your point and I agree with what you say. The, the unfortunate fact about our whole conversation here is that uh, there's limited vaccine. There is limited vaccine. How long is a bit of string? It's only that long. We can only apportion. It's a war. I've said it many times. And in a in a war, decisions get made. They're not always the perfect decision. They're not always going to please everybody. That's exactly what's happened here. Mm. And uh, maybe our premier can elicit uh, some sort of promise out of the uh, out of the federal government as a result. Um, you know, and get something you know in our court for vaccines in the future, um, which is entirely his job and what he should be doing, hopefully. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll just wait and see on that one. And the, as I said, there's an election coming up and Scott Morrison doesn't seem to be always, um, you know, helping himself a lot. Like the current controversy with the visit to Sydney... How do you feel about that? So this is the Father's Day. Yeah, it's a Father's Day thing, yeah. Uh, clearly he was allowed to do it, but obviously at the same time, just because you're allowed to do it, it doesn't mean that the optics aren't great. And I think people are right to perhaps be a bit upset about the fact that they're in lockdown. They can't go and see their kids and grandkids, a lot of them, but the Prime Minister can. And also to take that private flight, which is very expensive, of course, chartering a private aircraft to facilitate that. Ask so, Bronwyn Bishop. She would know about that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he's allowed to do it and it's within the entitlements from what I can see. And um, he was allowed and obviously has an exemption to lockdown and border closures, but uh, obviously the optics aren't great. and They're very bad. I, I wouldn't blame people for getting a bit upset if they couldn't see their Has he got a problem with reality? Well, this isn't the first time. Like it's the, not the first time at all. The Hawaii situation and I was the wondering opposition. whether he was wearing a lay when he went up to Sydney. Mm. Mm. The opposition is, you know, a lot of what they're saying I think is actually starting to stick, which is going to be a problem in terms of the politics. And that's why I said this week that I thought the strategy for the federal election might be for them to go well, because Well, um, Christine Keneally swapping over to, oh. the, uh, to the lower house. Really? Yep. yep. That's news. Do you know which seat? Uh, a safe seat, 15% Labor. I better see which seat better. this is. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, Christine and I have had... A, Christina and I, we've had our moments. She got stuck into me on something once. So I'm not a huge fan of her. But you've got to take it, though. That's, that's, that's probably a little bit of a compliment there, Mitchell, if she I sees that you're a target. Why? <laughs> that's true, too. <laughs> I mean, why would she worry about me, this exactly. small guy? But you, got, you raised her eye, which is commendable. Um, but I mean, for goodness, yeah. Anyway, enough said about Christina. But um, in terms of the 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 way that well, they, there might be more said about her anyway. But keep going. In terms of the way it's going to play out, I was talking to someone about the timing of the election, and they said maybe it's going to be in November, like rushed through. But I said no. My bet would be on it going along because I think if they run it in April, May next year, the hope is by then we've got to eighty percent. We forget about being in lockdown. We forget a little bit about COVID. We forget you about think it's going to be that simple. Well, I think that's what they're banking on. Probably won't be that simple. There's always a stumbling block along the way, isn't there? But I, I feel it's going to be. I don't. Th- I don't think it's going to be that simple. I think that that's the that's the perfect situation. But I think there's going to be a lot more twists and turns in this whole saga. There will be, but I think that's what they're banking on. I don't think it would be very wise for them to go to an election in November because uh, at that point, people are probably still going to be in lockdown. And that's another issue as well. How do you run an election from lockdown? You can't 
people can't go out to vote well, easily, can you they? Just can't, you, you just can't have... The, you've got to extend the period or do something. Um, so that's a problem in and of itself. Oh, um, the seat of Werurua, by the looks of it. I know that's a very safe seat in uh, Western Sydney. Oh, no, Fowler. Yeah, that sounds better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's a very safe seat in uh, Western Sydney. Werurua used to be the seat that was held by Mark Latham. So that says something, because if a leader can hold that seat, then, you know, it's a pretty safe Labor right. seat. But, of course, uh, Christina would have to get through the, uh, the selection processes within Labor, but I think she's well-liked by the Labor crowd. Well, even though people don't look... Why are we still talking about it? But, but even no, if but you look listen, at that track no, record, No, no, it's no we're talking great. about it for a reason. But, look, look it's, one thing that sprang to my mind is there was the perfect chance for... Uh, Anthony Albanese to really get stuck into Scott Morrison over this and he didn't do it. Is that what you'd like to see? I would, yes. I would like to see an opposition being energetic. Absolutely. And I, it's not a matter of politics. Our, our political system depends on a healthy opposition. And he let that slide. Now, that's indictable from my perspective. Do you think in Australia now we have a Prime Minister, we have them for two years or two and a half years and then we just get tired of them and now no one can be Prime Minister it's for more than easy. two and a half years? It's not hard to get tired of this bloke with his <laughs> Australian flag mask. <laughs> is that is that a problem? Where are his PR people? Where, where are his PR people? I try and look for a bit more substance than that. Yes, but I get where you're coming no, from. No, no, that is the substance. That's it. <laughs> That's it. I'm sorry. It's you know, and I can't help comparing him. And I'm a conservative voter, but he's doing a, he's doing a lot to make me think of otherwise. But you know, I can't help thinking him as a headmaster. Now, children. Now, children. That's the way I see him. You know, and and uh, you know, I think. Oh, actually, that, how do that, you compare him to Daniel Andrews? Well, well, da- well. You, you know what I feel about Daniel Andrews. He's not my pinup boy. Um, but but the word is. But the lump in Josh Frydenberg's pocket was a measuring tape when he went to the lodge the other night. So you're saying he might be the one to take the government to he the He might election. have been measuring up mm. the rooms and the drapes, I think. I actually listened to him in an interview, I think it was this week or last week, and I thought he, um, he performed quite well. He performs very well. He's very measured. Um, very cool. He hit the right notes. And he kicks a foot like a few too. questions. Yep. Josh, yeah. So, you know, maybe, I don't know. I've got a feeling there isn't this appetite to change because I think people would like to see at least one Prime Minister see out of full Probably term. not this side of the... Probably, well... Uh, we'll see. Look, probably not this side of the, of the election, but ultimately, ultimately, the uh, ultimately yeah, you probably aren't, but it's there. You know, ultimately, people are, are getting very sick of the uh, of this person that cannot relate. The other uh, thing I have to ask you about is talking about having an effective opposition, Matthew Guy. Well, 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 plenty of very successful leaders have come back for a second swing. So I'm going to cut him some slack on that. Now, there was a, there was a, a YouTube clip of him getting stuck into somebody uh, and he did a very good job. What was that over? Can you remember? That was about the lockdowns, wasn't it? I think I said it, that to you. Yeah, yeah, you might have. You might have. And I mean, that was commendable. That's the man we want to see leading the state. That's the man we want to see. That's the Matthew guy we want to see. But I think so far, it's very early days. There's a bit of a honeymoon period. But I think they've hit a couple of right notes in terms of this bright, positive image. Whether they can keep that up, we'll wait and see. But I don't know. Can can you please illuminate me there? They've been talking a lot about mental health and mental health schools. And that is, I think, a touchstone issue because I think a lot of people are genuinely worried about that. 
and so they should be. There's, you know, our children are the, they're our future, and um, absolutely, men, mental health is a big thing. You know, it's a big thing. So, well, we have to squeeze in one more break before we wrap up, but we've just about done the whole hour once again. Yep, it's been great doing it with you again. But uh, we'll come back for a bit of a final word after this. Ninety-four point seven, the pulse. Have the last word, Vic. Well, uh, Phil Collins, not so well. Our thoughts go out to him. But um, just quickly, our Prime Minister made the statement about those Afghanis that are here on temporary entry visas. And uh, he said, uh, quote unquote, for those people who think they're going to stay and be Australian citizens, that will not happen. Well, my message to you, Mr Prime Minister, Scotty, you better start acting like a Prime Minister because people before you, well before you, Fraser, Howard, um, um, Bob Hawke, have all made those calls when emergency has happened and humanity needs you to make the right decision here and let those people stay. What are, they, what are we going to send them back to? Um, be a Prime Minister, be an ambassador for once, take that corny mask off and do your job. Thank you. I'll talk to you next week. Stay well. Midday News next. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or wherever you get your podcasts.